I'm struggling today, church. I'm really struggling. I started this sermon a couple of different times in different directions, and um, what I've got is what's on my heart this morning. And I know this. I know that nine black people, six women, three men from Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, are dead. I know a five-year-old black girl is alive because she pretended to be dead, lying among the dead. I know they were targeted by a white domestic terrorist, one who believed in white superiority, who sat among them in a Bible study, a prayer meeting for an hour, resting in their hospitality, their welcome, their kindness, their shelter. And he said, because of that kindness, he was almost convinced not to go through with his plan. The caricature of black people as so other, so distant, so animal, almost broke for Dylan. But he did go through with his plan, believing it had to be done, and he opened fire on this group. You've read the stories. Even the walls of a faith community cannot shelter human beings from violence, from terror, from the white supremacy that exists in this country. And unfortunately, this is an all too familiar story for people of color, the story of their faith communities being firebombed and attacked and desecrated, threatened and destroyed by angry white men. Dylan Roof is not a single bad apple or a lone wolf, just like the officer who shot Walter Scott in the back in Charleston, South Carolina two months ago was not a bad apple or a rogue cop. These men and so many of the policies and practices of this country, the history of this country, in fact, are alive with the legacy of racism and the practices of white superiority. So I invite you to watch this story play out, to pay attention to the racial narratives. Watch as the media mostly ignores hundreds of years of history of church bombings and burnings and shootings and narrows this story down to one disturbed young man who had a hard, maybe not very good upbringing. All of this is to say I am struggling. I am raw this morning. And after a couple of false starts writing the sermon, what I really want to talk about this morning, what I want us to talk about this morning, to wrestle with this morning, is what it means for us as a faith community to be a justice-loving shelter in a world that is violent and filled with uncertainty and can leave us so often with a sense of hopelessness and powerlessness. I want to talk about what it means to be a justice-loving shelter. And let me be clear when I talk about shelter I'm not talking about a shelter that keeps us 100% safe, a protective titanium bubble that we just inhabit together that surrounds this church, that keeps all of us safe, but rather a loving shelter, a place where those values are alive, that invites everyone in, that gives each of us the courage to be who we are, the fullness of who we are, the courage to see the world as it is, the courage to listen deeply to one another, to hear the rage and anger and grief and hope that live in our hearts, and then to faithfully move towards greater love and justice. I want us this morning, church, to talk about what it means to stand on the side of love and in moments like this to double down on compassion, on hospitality, 
to double down on saying black lives matter, to double down on listening and taking in new information, to double down on being love's people. We still live in a world where all too often religion draws a line in the sand and says, based on who you are or who, what your identity is, you're either in or you're out. And I want to talk about what it means for us to truly live our inclusive faith, to really be that inclusive faith, not just go through the motions of playing church, but to be church to know in our hearts that we have life-saving work to do and that we need everyone who is here and that no one should feel alone. I draw strength this morning from an ancient story about shelter, hospitality, and compassion, a story from the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a story about Abraham. I suspect many of you know this story. And at this point in his life, he's an old man. He's 99 years old. He's pitched his tent in the desert with his wife, Sarah. He's near some oak trees, perhaps resting in their shade. In the heat of the day, in the scorching heat, in the unrelenting heat of the sun in the desert, he sees three strangers off in the distance, blurry, because there's so much heat radiating off the sand. Are they bandits, thieves, enemies? No matter, Abraham races out to meet them, to greet them, to welcome them into his tent, like Mother Emmanuel, African Methodist Episcopal Church, welcomed Dylan into their prayer meeting. And Abraham offers them drink and food and rest. It's what his faith demands of him, requires of him. He shelters them within the walls of his tent. Is it risky? Perhaps it's always risky to welcome strangers. But in this story, we learn that these guests are actually angels or holy beings in disguise. And the teaching in the story is unmistakable. You never know who you're sheltering and the shelter and the hospitality that we offer one another can save lives. Without Abraham's shelter, those strangers might have perished in the heat of the desert. So in these moments of reckoning, this moment we're in right now, I believe our faith invites us to double down on our deepest core values. And this fall, we will double down on hospitality as we host four families from this Families Moving Forward program. Participants in that program have called it a five-star shelter experience. We will offer that experience opening our church wide. But doubling down on love, doubling down on acting for justice, on really being a beloved community. That means being a five-star shelter in other ways, too, and it's time to get really serious about that. It means we welcome and shelter all of who we are when we come into this place. It means we make room to listen to each other, to hear the pain and the heartbreak and the hope that is moving in our lives. Author Mary Pfeiffer, a Unitarian Universalist, describes in her book, In the Shelter of Each Other, what children need to survive and become persons of integrity. And she writes, Raising healthy children is, labor -intensive, is a labor-intensive operation. 
Contrary to the news from the broader culture, most of what children need, money cannot buy. And these are words I say every time we dedicate our young children in this church. Contrary to the news from the broader culture, most of what children need, money cannot buy. Children need time and space, attention, affection, guidance, and conversation. They need sheltered places where they can be safe as they learn what they need to know to survive. Although Mary Pfeiffer is talking about what children need, adults need the same thing too. Fathers and mothers want to offer this shelter to their children, but they need this shelter as well. We all do. So whatever your color, whatever your gender identity, whatever your sexual orientation or physical abilities might be, it has never been more important than right now to welcome and affirm and protect the light in each human heart. Gender justice is connected to racial justice, is connected to everything else. We begin to shelter each other when this is a place where all gender identities are welcome. We begin to shelter each other when we declare that your love, no matter who you love, is a holy and sacred gift. We begin to shelter each other when we pass a resolution and put up a banner that says, Black Lives Matter. And I'm not going to lie, though, we have plenty of work to do as a faith community when it comes to understanding our own whiteness as an institution. But with the banner and with that resolution, we are signaling that we want to do that work. That we are on a journey to educate ourselves about this 400-year-old history of race and racism and whiteness in this country and that we will work for justice. And some of that justice work starts with deep listening. How many of you are on Twitter? A few of you. This is a, this is, this is a demographic question, maybe. <laughs> the, the new civil rights movement, movement is happening in large part on Twitter. So if you want to understand what is happening with people of color and white allies in this movement, there are a couple of people that you should just listen to on Twitter. And if you don't know how to get on Twitter, like email me or I'll help you or talk to a young person. They can probably help you. Get on. <laughs> Get on Twitter. I'm serious because part of, part, of what it, part of this justice work means that we really need to listen to and understand voices of color, people who are in this work and calling us to account. So if you're on Twitter and you're not following Sean King or DeRay McKesson or Black Girl Danger, follow them. If you're not on Twitter, figure out how to get on Twitter and follow Sean King and DeRay McKesson and Black Girl Danger and listen to them and listen to your friends and colleagues of color as well. Part of being a shelter, part of doing this justice work means that we will act locally as well. Not just talk, but act locally as well. And we can all point to the Confederate flag that still is at full mast in South Carolina. And we can point and we can say that racist South, that horrible history. And I just learned, I didn't know this, that the flag, the Confederate flag, went back up in 1962 in the midst of the Civil Rights Movement as a way to reinsert white supremacy and white dominance in South Carolina. We can look to that flag and say, oh, the South. But those among us who are paying attention, and many of us are, need only travel a mile or so that way, friends, to Lake Calhoun. John Calhoun, that lake is named after John, he helped found All Souls Unitarian Church in Washington, D.C. He's one of our own. 
And if you don't know, he was a fierce defender of the institution of slavery. He believed that slavery was not an evil. In fact, he thought it was a positive good. We don't have to look far to find the work we can do in our own community. Imagine the role we could play. John Calhoun is one of our own. Imagine the role we could play in having a conversation and working to have the name of Lake Calhoun changed. By doing this, by working with other churches in this area, we would begin to create a more hospitable environment for every person who lives here. Sheltering each other means listening and learning and acting. The reason this didn't happen back in 2011 when it came up for a conversation about changing the lake is it was too hard, they said. There's too many apartment buildings. There's too many locations. There's too many signs. There's too much collateral material that says Lake Calhoun on it. And the question we have to wrestle with, the reckoning we have to do this morning, is is that a real reason not to change the name of a lake that's named after a fierce advocate for an institution, an institution that destroyed and damaged and killed millions of people? Is that a legitimate reason not to make that effort? Sheltering each other means listening and learning and then acting. And it is damn hard. We all live in this racial mess. And what I know in my own heart, because I've experienced it, is that sometimes when it comes to talking about race, whether it's white folks talking to white folks about race or all of us trying to have a conversation with all of us, and talking to people of color and everyone else because our experiences in the world are so different, because we move and breathe and live in this world in such profoundly different ways, it's as if we're speaking foreign languages to one another, shouting gibberish in Italian or Swahili at one another again and again and again, and we never crack the conversation, and so we just stay stuck. But if we listen deeply enough, I believe, I know, if we listen deeply enough with an open heart, I think that over time, we can get off the bus we're on. We can escape the worldview we've lived with, the paradigm we've inhabited. We can take the next step on our journey. We can begin to find our way home to beloved community. There are all kinds of ways, all kinds of ways we shelter one another at this church. One more example to lift up, and this is an important one. On Wednesday, many of you know, many of you were there, we hosted what's called a death cafe here at church, and there were about 70 of you who came into this place we created, this sacred place to talk about living and dying and death, to share stories of loved ones who had died and what that death had been like, what we hoped our own death and living might be like. It was beautiful and profound. The role of the church, the doubling down I'm talking about is this. In a culture that doesn't want to talk about death and doesn't want to talk about race or doesn't want to talk about identity, gender identity, the role of the church is to be a shelter, a place that does. That's what we have to double down on. Making space for strangers, making space for truths and life experiences different from our own, making space for rage and grief and anger, making space to accompany and walk with one another through all of this. 
as we become as fully human as we can. We shelter each other by making space. In our closing reflections from the Death Cafe on Wednesday, one of the participants remarked in the kind of final go-around, when I get up every morning, I check the obituary to see if my name is there. <laughs> and if it's not, I get up, I have breakfast, and I get on with my day. So tomorrow morning, when you wake up, check the obituary for your name and see if it's there. And if it's not, you're among the living. And you have holy and sacred work to do. You have been blessed with another day and the gift of that day. And with that gift, I invite you to double down on love, on hospitality, on listening, on justice-making, on acting on your values in this world so that together each and every one of us might thrive and flourish and live together. May it be so, and amen, and let the church say amen. Amen.